0: I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1. I'm excited to begin this book. This is one of my favorite books in the world, one of my 66 favorite books in the world. I wonder if Galatians has any kind of association for you Have you poured into this book? Do you know what it's about? Do you know the great and rich truths that it holds for you? It's one of my favorite books because it teaches us the gospel. It teaches us the implications of the gospel. The book of Galatians, in one sense, is not a friendly book. It's bristling with polemics. It has an adversary in mind, and the adversary that it has in mind is legalism. It is out to destroy any notion that you have that you can earn your salvation. It has nothing to do with that. It wants nothing to do with it. This book is an all-out war against legalism. One author writes, Galatians is a passionate letter. The outpouring of the soul of a preacher on fire for his Lord and deeply committed to bringing his hearers to an understanding of what saving faith is. He goes on to say, It is a book that pits human works against God's grace. And if you put those against each other, the victor in the end will be God's grace. But if we're clinging to our works to the end we will find we have separated ourselves from grace and we will not taste it galatians contains in my opinion one of the most powerful verses in the bible it's galatians chapter 2 verse 21 and the author paul writes this i do not nullify the grace of god for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. That's not a verse that you just immediately grasp. That is a verse that you need to chew on, a verse you need to think about for a long time. And if God's will, we are going to unpack what that truth means for the next, I don't know how long. But we will take some time to dig into this book. It's a book about faith, faith, about God, about Christ, about the cross, about the spirit, about righteousness, about justification, about works, about the law. Another author says Galatians takes us to the very heart of the Christian faith. Another one says that Galatians is the Magna Carta of evangelical Christianity. It's because Galatians is a book about freedom. Galatians is a book that sets sinners free. Warren Weersby titled his commentary of Galatians, Be Free. That sounds great. Freedom sounds good. We as Americans love freedom, but we often associate freedom as the capacity to do whatever we want. That's not the kind of freedom that Galatians holds out to us. The whole freedom that Galatians holds out to us is that you can be free from the law of works. You can be free from condemnation. You can be free from spinning your wheels in this world of trying to be good enough. And it sets you free to realize that Christ paid it all at the cross and he offers you his righteousness and so that you will be robed before the Almighty with somebody else's righteousness, not your own. That's Freedom. So many times in this world, people want to enslave themselves. People want to enslave themselves by setting up a standard that they think they need to keep in order to be good enough. And it could be a good standard. They could say something like, the standard that I am going to live by is, I am going to love everybody. It's a good standard wouldn't disagree with it in one sense except when they hold that standard up as the means by which they can obtain righteousness they will find that they are quickly going to fail at achieving that standard they don't love anyone everyone in fact they would probably go out and say i hate people who don't love everyone and immediately as soon as these words come out of their mouth they have violated their standard and they cannot reach the height of their own standard that they have set. And so they are enslaved to the condemnation that their own standard has brought about in their own life. Oh, they may not realize it, and they may slink out from underneath their standard at any time. But they still have violated the very means of righteousness that they have set up in their life. And this is, in essence, the fundamental logic of the book of galatians it says there is a standard it is the law of god and it's a good standard it's a righteous standard but every human being breaks that standard every human being falls short of it and we are condemned as a result and if you hold out god's law as the means by which you want to be righteous before god you will find yourself condemned instead of being righteous and so there has to be another way to be righteous before God. And the only way, Galatians says, to be right before God is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in accepting that by faith. That's the whole argument of Galatians. And you see it nuanced, you see it work out into practical life. It says, Well, what do we do about how we live now? How do we live out a righteous life? What do we do when God tells us to live a certain way? How do we do that? Oh, it answers those questions. In six short chapters, in 149 verses, and somewhere around 3,200 words, Galatians holds out to us the gospel of Jesus Christ and its ramifications for our life. If you were to summarize the purpose of Galatians in one sentence, it could be this. It's not my words. It's someone else's. The, go- the purpose of Galatians is to present the gospel of justification by faith alone and defend it against false teaching the false teaching that you must keep the law to be saved the purpose of galatians is to present the gospel of justification by faith alone and defend it against the false teaching that you must keep the law to be saved perhaps the key verse would be galatians 2:16 which says yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in jesus christ So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now this morning, just for the few moments we have, I want to look with you at the first five verses, the introduction to this letter. Let's read these verses, Galatians 1 through 5, and then we'll make some comment about them. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Father, we ask you that you would help us to understand your word by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These first few verses of this letter, in a sense, summarize the whole letter for us. And so we'll take the time to set up the rest of the letter by looking at these verses. We're going to see the authentic source of the gospel, and we're going to see a summary of the gospel. That's it. We'll see the authentic source of the gospel in an authorized summary of the gospel as we look at these verses. First, the authentic source of the gospel. We want to know where we get our gospel so that we know we have the right one. Where we get our news really matters. This is uh, pretty prevalent in our day. So many competing venues for the news who suggest that they have the sole source of what you need to know. And if you watch one channel, they'll tell you one thing. And if you watch another channel, they'll tell you something else. And you're left kind of betwixt in between. Well, who's right? Who's wrong? Who do I believe? Thankfully, with the gospel, although there are multiple people telling you what to believe, we're really left with no doubt as to who to believe. And that's the way the Galatians starts out. It gives us the authentic source of the gospel. We need to know where this gospel comes from. And Paul's point, the apostle Paul writes this letter, and he starts it out by letting the Galatians know who is writing the letter. Simply Paul, an apostle. Paul calls himself an apostle. An apostle literally means a sent one. And so to call yourself an apostle doesn't really mean much unless you say who you are an apostle of. Then it means a whole lot. If you just call yourself an apostle, it's almost like, so what? But as soon as you attach your apostleship to somebody else, that's what gives its legitimacy. It's a common way that Paul refers to himself. In most of his letters, he begins this way. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.1, he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of God, Christ Jesus. He's not a standalone human being. The Apostle Paul attached himself to the one who sent him. And in the case of Galatians, he says, through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The term apostle can be generic. The real thing that matters is who sent him. And Paul elaborates this point for a little bit. But he's, let me give you a little bit of background so you know who he's writing to and then come back to this idea of apostleship. Paul's writing to the churches of Galatia, he says there in verse 2. And you may not be interested in this, but people who spend their time writing books are. And there's two big theories about who the Galatians were, who Paul was writing to. If you look at Asia Minor today or modern-day Turkey uh, kind of right in the center of it, from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea, there's a strip of land there. And that would be known in the ancient world, the province of Galatia. And in the north, there were people who were ethnic Galatians or Gauls. And in the south, there wouldn't be ethnic Galatians as much, but there would be people who lived in the province of Galatia. In the south, there are cities like Lystra and Derby. And if you read in Acts 13 and 14, you'll see Paul went there on his first missionary journeys and planted churches there. He preached the gospel, people came to faith, and churches were established in those cities. That's southern Galatia. That's the province of Galatia. He's probably writing to those churches in Acts 13 and 14. He knew them personally. They knew him personally. He went there and he preached the gospel. They believed him. They repented and they put their faith in Christ. He knew them, but he's gotten reports now that they are receiving teachings that are not in agreement with what Paul had preached. Look at chapter one, verse six. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And in chapter three, verse one, Paul pulls out the big guns and says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So there's been reports that have come to Paul that the churches of Galatia are receiving a teaching other than what Paul had taught them. And this is infuriating to Paul, distressing to him. He's astonished. He considers the churches at Galatia to be fools because they're following another gospel. Paul's incensed at this. In chapter five, verses two. And three, these churches that Paul obviously cares deeply about are on the brink of accepting the Old Testament law. Chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul The pastor, and Paul the apostle, takes up his pen to write to these churches. And he identifies himself at the very start as an apostle. But he wants them to know that this commissioned ambassador of the gospel is not commissioned by man. He says back in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. He's very intent on letting the Galatians know that his apostleship is not man-made. He says, not from men, meaning the ultimate source of his apostleship is not from humans. Not through man means that there was no man who came and appointed Paul to be an apostle or who had the authority vested in him to appoint Paul an apostle. Paul wants to belabor this point, not to puff himself up, Not to show how great he is, but to help the Galatians know that the message that he carries as an apostle is not one that he was commissioned to preach by another human being. He was commissioned to preach it from heaven. He wants the Galatians to know that his mission and message are not man-made. And so he goes on, It's not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. His commissioning is divinely given and divinely verified. It was heaven itself that made Paul an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. There are agitators in the churches of Galatia. They are people who are preaching a false gospel. They're slandering Paul. They're saying mean things about him, about his gospel. And as Paul takes up his pen to go against these agitators, it's got to be clear. Either the agitators are right or Paul is right. They can't both be right. The agitators say that they have a commissioning from Jerusalem. We'll see that later in the book. Paul is saying he has a commissioning from heaven. That's a weighty standard to live up to, but it's true. You remember Paul's testimony, Acts chapter 9. He was on his way to persecute the church when Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus, and Paul's whole life was changed. One who was a persecutor is now a preacher of the gospel. He didn't think up this job. He had the complete opposite job. He wanted to destroy the church. He wanted nothing to do with it. And then all of a sudden, in a day, everything has changed and turned upside down for him. And now he wants to go preach the very gospel that he once sought to oppose. His commissioning came from heaven. It came from a divine source. Paul wants the Galatians to know, and really us to know as well, that the gospel he preaches is not man-made. To authenticate this, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That's how not-man-made this message is. God reached into this world, raised his Son from the dead. And Paul goes on to say, and all the brothers who are with me, he makes this comment to let the Galatians know that even though his authority, his apostleship is divinely given, he wants them to know That he's not the only one who believes this. As he goes on to preach the gospel of Christ Jesus, he wants the people to know there are more brothers that are standing behind Paul that agree with what he says. You might wonder why this matters to you. It matters to you because 13 letters in the New Testament are penned by the Apostle Paul. He gives us And unfolds for us the richest, deepest understanding of the gospel. He helps us understand what it means that Jesus Christ was crucified and Jesus Christ was resurrected. You don't want just anybody telling you that. You need somebody who has a divine commissioning, somebody who has authority from heaven telling you the meaning of the most important truths in the world. And no matter how much I preach, no matter how much John teaches and preaches, no matter how much we pour our lives into telling you the truth of the gospel, we cannot claim that our message was given to us from heaven. We're preaching what is contained in this book. And what's contained in this book, we have to believe comes from heaven. And the messenger who preached it originally, the apostle Paul, got his commissioning from heaven. we will develop that argument quite a bit here in the book of Galatians, but we start out understanding that if we are going to receive the gospel, we have to understand that this gospel is a divinely given message. Paul sets that up for these churches of Galatia. And then he moves into verse 3 to give us the approved summary of the gospel. We saw the authority, and now we see the approved summary of the gospel. If you're to highlight or point out verses in your Bible that you want to uh, turn back to from time to time, things you want to know really well, Galatians 1, 3 through 5 would be a verse for you to mark down because it is a single-sentence summary of the gospel. It summarizes the great truths of the gospel in very few words. It's a brief summary. The gospel in one sentence it starts out in verse 3. I'll give you some kind of headings to understand what the summary of the gospel is. And it starts out with the results of the gospel. The results of the gospel. And this is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The results of the gospel are grace and peace to you from God and Christ. The good news of the gospel has come not to bash us into the ground with condemnation, not to enshackle us with slavery, not just to heap up guilt on us. The gospel has come to give us grace and peace. These are beautiful words. The word grace would help us understand that the whole gift of the gospel is something that's not deserved by us. We've done nothing to merit it, nothing to deserve it. It is a complete and total gift. It's a gift of grace. It is the pride of man that puffs us up to think that we deserve it. It's our pride to think that God owes us something, to suggest that he needs to give us something the only thing that he really, that we really deserve, and I hope you know this, the only thing that we really deserve is condemnation. Because every one of us has sinned. All have sinned. And that's the only thing that you really deserve. If you have anything good, anything lovely, anything excellent or pure in your life, it is a gift from God to you. And it's entirely there by grace. Grace. So when it starts out with grace to you, this is a lovely reminder that the whole summary of the gospel is a gift of grace. The teaching of those who don't focus on Christ and focus on grace just keeps up burden upon burden. If you spend any time reading the literature of the world, listening to the world, or even listening to false teachers, you are going to find yourself a burdened individual. Because anything that is not Christ, anything that is not the gospel, is by default burdensome. How many people in this life are so burdened? We're told all the time, you need to be a better mom, a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better worker, a better student. A better homekeeper. A better citizen. A better neighbor. Better with your finances. Better with your kids. Better with your cars. Better with your house. Better with your cooking. Better with your clothing. Better with your friends. Better with your conversations. Better with your serving. You need to be more beautiful, more handsome, more smart, more competent, more like so-and-so or less like so-and-so. You need to vote blue. You need to vote red. You need to get a shot. You must not get a shot. You need to think this way, you need to think that way. Burdens. All burdens. When they're given to you as the means by which you think yourself right. You just constantly feel like a failure. And like you constantly fall short. It's even easy in church to preach this way. It's easy to lay out the guilt and the burden and all of the things that you need to do to be a better Christian, a better churchgoer, a better saint, and can just heap on the burdens. And if we heap those on without tying them to the gospel, then they are burdens rather than grace. Well, certainly I would not tell you that you must not repent of sin. And I wouldn't tell you that we don't live to serve a king who is worthy of our service. I wouldn't tell you that. But the gospel frees you from the constant, painful, nagging call to just be better. The gospel is grace. The gospel is a gift. The gospel focuses on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Favor that you don't deserve. It is the grace of God revealed in the cross of Christ. Again, Galatians 2 verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if you could be righteous by being good enough or by law keeping then you don't need the cross of christ and christ died in vain but clearly that's not the case clearly christ died purposefully he died intentionally he died to accomplish something and the thing he died to accomplish is to give you grace to give you a gift that you can never earn if you could earn the gift if you could earn the righteousness then christ didn't need to die But Christ did need to die, and so you cannot earn what he gives you. And so then all of the pressure to be good enough, to be right with God, just immediately slips off your shoulders when you realize Christ died to give you a gift of grace. It's not a cheap grace. It's a revolutionary grace. It's a grace that turns your life upside down, inside out, backwards to forwards. It's a grace that totally changes the way that you live every day of your life. It's not a cheap grace. It's not an ineffectual grace. It's an effective grace that transforms lives, that changes sinners to saints, the hopeless to the hopeful. It's a grace that accomplishes so much. The gospel of grace is a lovely, awesome gift grace to you. The gospel also brings peace. From God and Christ. Very far from the burden that this world heaps on you, far from what the legalists heap up on you, the gospel of grace gives you peace as well. If you received grace from God centered in the cross of Christ, then you also experience peace with God. You experience the peace of living in a right relationship with God. You're not cursed, you're not condemned, you're no longer searching for the righteousness of your, that you can earn. All of the frantic living is gone, and you're at peace in your heart, you're at peace with God, and you can actually be at peace with those who are in Christ. One writer notes, Grace designates the undeserved favor of God, and peace the profound well-being of the soul, which is the result of it. These are the results of the gospel, grace and peace to you, and they come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the action of the gospel in verse 4. The action of the gospel is Christ who gave himself for our sins. The action of the gospel is that Christ gave himself. This is the central message of the gospel. If you're really to boil down the essence of the gospel, it is the action of, that Christ took on your behalf. And the action is summarized as he who gave himself. This is the central message. The logic behind it, if you look at chapter 3, verse 10, is this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. When you try to live by the standard of legalism, or you try to live by law-keeping, you find yourself not righteous if you're thinking about it. You find yourself cursed. If you keep Your own law let's suggest that you just set up your own standard of living again that you love everybody if you set that standard up you are going to fall short and you'll find yourself condemned under the very own law that you have set up if you're to live under the right standard god's law let's say the ten commandments and you set that up as the standard that you need to keep you're going to find that you break every single one of them one through ten is every one of them is broken And if you set that as the standard that you are going to live by, you find yourself not one who is blessed, but one who is cursed. Because you live under a law you have not kept, and so you stand condemned. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Verse 11 of chapter 3, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Everyone stands condemned under the law of God. This is where the action of the gospel comes in. There are two categories in God's thinking of the way people relate to them him. Either they are cursed or they are blessed. God curses those who don't keep his law, but he is also a blessing God. And the blessing that he gives can only come through Jesus Christ. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You're either cursed or you're blessed. You're cursed if you're under law, and you are blessed if you follow the man who was cursed. That's going to be the basic teaching of the book of Galatians. Christ was cursed for you when he went on that tree. He bore in his body the sins of the world, and he experienced the condemnation that we rightly deserve. So Paul says in chapter 1, verse 4, the action of the gospel is Jesus Christ who gave himself. He gave himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be set free. That's the action of the gospel. Christ gave himself. Jesus Christ made a deliberate choice to go to the cross and offer himself. That is the place that we must look for our salvation. That's the action of the gospel. He gave himself. The achievement for the gospel is that He gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. The reason that he went to the cross was because he needed to take away our sins. That's kind of a funny way to say it. He gave himself for our sins. In what sense did he give himself for our sins? We use the similar kind of vernacular. You might say, how's your cold doing? Say, well, it's doing better. I took some medicine for my cold. And when you say that, you're not suggesting that you gave medicine for your cold to get better. My cold's doing great now. That's not what you mean. You mean you you took medicine for your cold in order to take away the symptoms of your cold. That's exactly what Paul is meaning here. Christ gave himself for our sins, not for our sins so that our sins would be better, so that our sins would be fed. He gave our, himself for our sins so our sins would be taken away. That's what he means. In behalf of, or for the benefit of, by removing the consequence of our sins. That's the great achievement of the gospel. This is an achievement to be considered and pondered really for all eternity, because no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you cannot get the stain of sin off of you. There's no soap that's strong enough to do that. You have to look to the cross of Jesus Christ for your sins to be removed. He gave himself for our sins. The purpose of the gospel is to deliver us from the present evil age. To deliver us from the present evil age, Christ gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. You don't have to spend too much time thinking about this. What does this mean? Present evil age. Well, present means it's now, evil means it's bad, age means it's a duration of time. Christ came and gave Himself. For our sins in order to deliver us from the time that is now that is defined as evil. He wants to snatch us out of this age so we're not saturated with this age. It says in 1 John, do not love the world or the things of the world. Do not be conformed to this world. Paul says in Romans twelve. It's another way of saying the same thing is to suggest that this world that we live in all around us is just so full of evil that if you are not in Christ, you are a part of this world. You're part of the evil world system. And it says Jesus says in John twelve thirty one, Now is the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. This world system, this present world age is defined as an age that is ruled by Satan, that is full, so full of evil that if you are not in Christ, you are a part of the world system, and you would be defined by its evil as well. There's an age to come. Jesus refers to it in Matthew 12:32. He says, "...and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven." either in this age or in the age to come. This age is the present evil age. The age to come is the glorious kingdom of God that is beautiful, lovely, and everything that you could possibly dream of that's good. Paul, Paul is saying that Christ came into this world to deliver us out of this present evil age now. Now. There's an age to come, and we look forward to that, but the amazing truth is that Christ came 2,000 years ago to deliver us out of this present evil age now. So if you know Christ, and you walk through this world, you have been delivered out of this world. Obviously not in the sense that your feet no longer touch the ground, or you're too good for the air of this world, but in the sense that you have been redeemed, and so you no longer follow the course and pattern of this world. You no longer love what the world loves. You no longer hate what the world hates. You love what God loves, and you hate what God hates. Paul says at the end of this book that I have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me in 6.14. He's been so brought out of this world that he feels like the world's dead to him and he's dead to the world. You've tasted of the age to come in the forgiveness of your sins and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life that you now live as a slave to Christ. This is the great purpose of the gospel, to deliver you out of the present evil age. The reason for the gospel is the will of our God and Father. Paul says at the end of verse 4, it is according to the will of our God and Father. The whole reason the gospel exists is because God wills it to exist. The reason Christ came into the world is because God sent him. The reason that that you are saved is because God saved you. The reason you have hope and joy and peace before God is because he willed it to happen. According... To the will of our God and Father. The whole gospel is in agreement with the will of our God and Father. He wanted it to happen. In God's loving heart, in his perfect plan, he wanted the gospel to happen. And so it happened. Christ came because God wanted him to come. Christ gave himself because God wanted him to give himself for our sins, because God wanted our sins to be taken away and to deliver us from this present evil age because that is what God wanted to happen. He wanted to deliver us. The end of all this, the end of the gospel, is simply verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. At the end of the day, you cannot pat yourself on the back. You can't take credit for this. This is God's gospel. It is his gift to you. That's really what you give up. Galatians is going to have you give something up. It's going to have you give up your self-righteousness, your own glory, your good enoughness. It's going to have you give it up. It's going to say, you don't get the glory. You don't get the credit. You don't get the applause. You don't get the approval. You have to give that up. But in exchange, when you come humbly before the cross of Christ and you receive him as the one who gave himself for your sins to deliver you out of this present evil age, oh, you get the forgiveness of your sins. You get the hope of glory. You get the joy of eternal life. And you get the joy of praising a God who willed to do this for you. You don't get the glory. He does. And that's not such a bad thing. We can't hold the glory. We can't take it. We distort it. We pervert it. But when we give the glory to the one who deserves it, it actually is our joy. So we have an authoritative gospel, and we have a great summary of the gospel, and the rest of Galatians will unpack these great truths for us. Looking forward to going through them with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us the gospel. It's by your will and according with your good plan that you've given it to us. We praise your name, O Lord, that you would give us the gospel. O Lord, to your name be glory forever and ever for giving Christ Jesus for us. Lord, I pray that we would be grateful, we would be trusting, we would not try to heap up our own credit before you, but we would trust the righteousness of Christ through the cross of Christ.